everybody. Welcome back to another episode of On The Mix. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today is going to be the last podcast of the year before I take a break for Christmas and then we're back in 2024. So I figured I would end this year talking about an extremely well-known but also somewhat controversial character in the music scene, Lemmy from Motorhead. He has quite a colored and checkered past and present up until he passed away a couple of years ago. So right up until the very end, he is a very interesting character, quite similar in a way to Keith Richards and how somehow he has survived dying a very early death and he died much older than he probably thought he ever would in his life. So I'm sure some of you guys don't know who Lemmy is, or maybe you're unfamiliar with his story. I'm not going to go in depth about the story of Motorhead, the band themselves. I'm mostly going to keep this about Lemmy, because Lemmy is a very interesting figurehead in the metal scene. And again, his story is just one that I think would be a really interesting one to kind of like wrap up the year. So Lemmy as you can probably well imagine, was not born with that name. He was born Ian Fraser Kilmister, and he was born in the Burslem area of Stoke-on-Trent on Christmas Eve, 1945. When he was three months old, his father separated from his mother, and he moved to live with his mom and grandmother to nearby Newcastle under Lim. And this is going to be a situation where I probably will mispronounce all of these English names, and I apologize. That's just, that's just what it is. <laughs> when Lemmy was 10, his mom married a former rugby player who already had two children from a previous marriage, and he strongly disliked his step-siblings a lot. He just did not really get along with his newfound family. But as a combined family, they moved to a farm in Wales, with Lemmy commenting... Funnily enough, being the only English kid among 700 Welsh ones didn't make for the happiest time, but it was interesting from an anthropological point of view. So he attended a comprehensive school in Wales where he was nicknamed Lemmy. There is, though, a bit of a discrepancy with where he got the name Lemmy from. He actually himself wasn't too sure where it came from. It sort of just appeared out of thin air, but it was later suggested that the name Lemmy originated from a phrase that's quite English where you'd say, Lemmy quit till Friday. And of course, lend me sounds like Lemmy. So Lemmy, that's kind of where some people think he got the name from because that would be a phrase that would be spoken quite often. And also he had the alleged habit of borrowing money from people to play slot machines when he was young. So he had quite a checkered past even when he was a child. He started smoking cigarettes at age 11, and I don't know if that was the norm back then, but certainly at age 11, I would highly suspect that that was abnormal, but that's just the kind of kid that Lemmy was. I think his family probably didn't necessarily look too hard at what he was getting into, and so he just let his mind and imagination and his impulses wander, and it led him to not only cigarettes and drugs, but it led him to music. And it's a funny story why he got into music in the first place, but I think it's a very common denominator for a lot of men in the industry. So he was at school and he noticed that a kid had brought a guitar one day into school with him. And he saw that this kid was surrounded by the young girls at school. And he's like, 
oh, I pieced together this narrative of guitar equals chicks. And he was young at this point. So, of course, I think a lot of young boys, when they get past that, ew, cooties phase, you want to attract the girls. So he's like, how do I attract the female species? Not only that, but he also saw Buddy Holly play live. And he saw the Beatles perform at the Cavern Club when he was 16 years old. So those two moments, as well as the one where he saw his friend at school bringing his guitar into class, he noticed, again, that common denominator of, if I play music, that will get me chicks. And while he did have an affinity for music, and he loved music, like he loved Jimi Hendrix, you know, a lot. He loved the Beatles. He loved... Um, so many rock and roll groups back in the day. Uh, Jimi Hendrix would come into play a bit later, you know, but as he, of course, got older, you know, and Jimi Hendrix was famous, you know, he he was really down with what Jimi Hendrix was doing. But, you know, the rock and roll groups of the time, he adored that for what it was. But he also noticed that, okay, I want to be popular with the ladies. And Lemmy always had this reputation of being a ladies man, even though I would say he wasn't the most attractive man, at least by maybe societal standards. He wasn't the most conventionally attractive. But you know what? He used his charm and he used his amazing English accent to attract all the women. And he had boasted later on in life that he had about like a thousand women in his time. Some speculated it was like close to 2,000, which I don't know how you keep a body count that high. And you remember it. So how much of that is exaggerated and how much of that is real and legitimate? He never had a wife. Um, he did have a child, though. It, he just never really was the type to settle down. So this rock and roll lifestyle that he surrounded himself in seemed to be the one that really drew him in the most. He always wanted to do music. There was never really any other career path he wanted to go down. Um, So when he saw all of these things come together, the two performances from Buddy Holly and the Beatles, and then his friend at school, what he did was he purchased himself a guitar. He also noticed that, hey, I bought a guitar, I bring it to school, and I'm also surrounded by girls, even though he couldn't play the guitar initially. He taught himself how to play, and when he left school, he worked several odd jobs, and he would play in local bands, spending time as well at a local horse riding school just to kind of get his feet wet in a couple different things because he also liked horse riding, which is quite the interesting leap from playing rock and roll music to then being an equestrian. I don't know where the line is drawn there, but that's kind of an interesting segue for Lemmy to take. So he didn't know how to play the guitar at this point in time, but he learned how to play the guitar by ear and by repetition when he bought the Please Please Me album, which was his first album that he purchased, and he was happy to play from that one. He also admired the intense comedy and sarcastic nature of John Lennon a lot. All four of the Beatles were quite like that. They were quite like charming and quite funny, but John was definitely known as the jokester in the group and Lemmy really was like drawn to that like quick-witted humor that John Lennon had and he was so inspired by what the Beatles were doing that he just kind of like emulated the style that they had and so he would later say of the Beatles Brian Epstein cleaned them up for mass consumption but they were anything but sissies they were from Liverpool a hard seafaring town 
all these dockers and sailors around all the time who would beat the piss out of you if you so much as winked at them. The Rolling Stones were the mummies boys. They were all college students from the outskirts of London. The Stones made great records, but they were always shit on stage, whereas the Beatles were the gear. So see, he was really for the hard-working, hard-working blue-collar type of bands like the Beatles. Because, of course, the Beatles are from Liverpool, that hard kind of northern town. But anyway, this is not a story about the Beatles. I can get so wrapped up in that. But he was so obsessed with the Beatles. He loved them. He loved bands and people that were like hard and rough around the edges like he was because he had a bit of, again, like a hard knocks life sort of thing. So in 1965, he joined his first band, proper band called the Rockin' Vickers. Vickers is an English slang term for priests. They were signed to CBS, and they released three singles, and they toured Europe. After some time, he left the Rockin' Vickers, and he moved to London in 1967. This is where Jimi Hendrix would come into play at a bigger portion of his life, because he was loving what Jimi Hendrix was doing. He shared a flat with the bassist of the Jimi Hendrix experience, Noel Redding, and so through that, he became the road manager for about six months for Jimi Hendrix. In 1968, he joined the rock band called Sam Gopal under the name Ian Willis and recorded an album called Escalator, which was released in 1969. After meeting Simon King at a shopping center in Chelsea, he then joined the band Opal Butterfly, but the group soon disbanded, having failed to raise enough interest with their singles. What interesting band names? Opal Butterfly? Sam Gopal? Like, I don't know who Sam Gopal is, but Opal Butterfly? That's a really cool band name, I just gotta say. Someone now should take that and actually make a band with Opal Butterfly. I think that's pretty interesting there. Nevertheless, they weren't that popular. They weren't necessarily that famous, but you have to get your start somewhere. And it was meager, but he got some attention from those bands. But it was when he joined the space rock band Hawkwind in August 1971 that really propelled him forward and it really created the touchstone for the Lemmy vibe that you can call it. So Lemmy was the bassist and the singer for Hawkwind. And he had no previous experience on the bass. He had some on the guitar, but he played bass and vocals. And so he had no real experience playing the bass. And he stated that he originally auditioned for Hawkwind as the guitarist. But, you know, from here, he had to kind of learn how to play the bass for himself, too, which is, you know, a quite somewhat different instrument just from the guitar alone. It's a little different, but not too different to where he was struggling with it. He actually learned very quickly how to play the bass, but also how to play it in his own distinctive style. And it was shaped by his experiences as a rhythm guitarist. He used something called double stops and chords rather than the single note lines preferred by a lot of bassists. And he also provided the lead vocals on several songs, including the band's biggest single called Silver Machine, which reached number three in 1972. It was here in Hawkwind where he experimented more with drugs, more so than just the typical drugs of the time. You know, back in the 60s in England, psychedelics were all the rage, like LSD and speed was popular. Um, but a lot of people also took downers as well. So, but it was in that kind of psychedelic, fast-paced, LSD, Molly, ecstasy type speed 
drugs, you know, that were really all the rage. And so he did experiment and had actually a major addiction to amphetamines and LSD. Partially, though, you know, he liked a bit of speed. This differentiated him from his other bandmates because they would mostly take downers, but he would take uppers. And speed, of course, is an upper, obviously. Um, So this kind of gave him a bit of an edge over his style of bass playing, but also it made him stand out from all the rest of them. And this would later inspire the song that Hawkwind would come out with called Motorhead. And that's where he got the name to use for his future band Motorhead. So Motorhead is a nickname for like a speed freak, someone that uses speed all the time. And that is who he is. Um, so yes, in Hawkwind, he created that song Motorhead and he sang that song Motorhead. And then when he created the band Motorhead, that's where he got the inspiration from. And then he re-recorded that Motorhead song from Hawkwind to the new sound with Motorhead. So I think that's pretty cool. Before joining Hawkwind, he recalled that a former sound technician for the band visited his home in the middle of the night and took amphetamines with him. They became interested in how long you could make the human body jump out without stopping. So very stereotypical drug type induced hallucinations and actions. So the typical stuff here that you see. At that point, they did this kind of like experimentation for a few months until the sound technician ran out of money and wanted to return to Hawkwind, taking Lemmy with him. So that's kind of how, in a weird roundabout way, he got involved with Hawkwind and then he auditioned, he got in. So, you know, it's quite interesting how he was just so different and how he wanted to take speed over any of the other drugs that were popular at the time. Of course, you know, he did all the other ones, you know, again, LSD was a popular one as well, but he was so deep into speed. He took it all the time. He was, he was addicted hugely. And this is what he had to say on his drug habit. He said, I first got into speed because it was a utilitarian drug and kept you awake when you needed to be awake when otherwise you'd just be flat out on your back. If you drove to Glasgow for nine hours in the back of a sweaty truck, you don't really feel like going on stage feeling all bright and breezy. It's the only drug I've found that I can get on with, and I've tried them all, except smack and morphine. I've never fixed anything. Fixed meaning he never injected drugs into himself. And smack, obviously, is heroin, so he never did heroin or morphine, which, I mean, yeah, I would kind of hope that he never did morphine because that's a very serious, very serious drug right there. So... In 1975, during the Hawkwind North American tour, Lemmy was arrested at the Canadian border in Windsor, Ontario on drug possession charges. The border police mistook the speed he was carrying for cocaine, which, good job to the border police right there, and he was kept overnight in jail before being released without charge. That's great. He, he got out scot-free, pretty much. The band and management were concerned that his arrest might stop the band from crossing back into the United States, even though he had already been released without charge. They just thought he was a bit of a wild card, and keeping him on the band for any longer than necessary would actually make it worse for them. They were tired of what they saw as his erratic behavior, so right then and there, they decided to fire him. And he once said of the band Hawkwind, looking back, he said, I did like being in Hawkwind, and I believe I'd still be playing with them today if I hadn't been kicked out. It was fun on stage, not so much off stage. They didn't want to mesh with me. Musically, I loved the drummer, the guitar player. It was a great band. 
So it seems like half of the band he really liked hanging out with, the others maybe not so much really, but of course he liked playing on stage because that's where he was really in his element after that. So he was kicked out of Hawkwind, you know, for being a little bit of a recluse. And so now he's struggling to kind of find his place and cement his place because he had already amassed quite a massive following from being in Hawkwind because the fans really liked him. And at some point in this whole entire thing, he actually taught Sex Pistols bassist Sid Vicious how to play the bass. I don't know if Sid took any of that down with him because Sid was notoriously not a great bass player at all. He didn't really play that well. So um, I don't know how much of that Sid retained of that lesson from Lemmy, but I think that's pretty cool. Lemmy really got infused at this point with the burgeoning punk scene in the 70s that was happening in the UK. You know, like, again, you had The Damned, you had The Sex Pistols, um, and punk was really becoming the absolute everything and the antithesis of the British regime, the monarchy, of course, that was happening at the time. But also, it was a direct response to the bubblegum pop, rock and roll, Teddy Boy, Greaser type of look that was very popular from the 50s and into the 60s, where the Beatles kind of made that kind of look very popular, like the Kinks the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, like it was all very like safe, but punk was different. You know, you dressed that certain kind of way and you acted that certain kind of gruff way. And for Lemmy, that was really where he thrived a lot because he came from those rough neighborhoods. So he was really good friends with a lot of those people in the punk scene at the time. Again, Sex Pistols and The Damned, he was really good friends with those two bands right there and a lot of others that were super popular at the time. So that's important to note because Motorhead does take a lot of influence from that punk scene and they actually take that classic metal sound that, you know, Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath had and they morphed that into punk. Punk, speed, heavy type of like fast-paced metal crazy music and that's what motorhead was you know they kind of created that sound that really became ever popular um as you know the 70s waned and then you got into the 80s with you know the hair metal band so it's kind of a really interesting like segue that he kind of came off of hawkwind which was that typical again kind of like your everyday metal band from england you know, but then you move, you move into the punk scene and he then like takes on all of that juicy, juicy knowledge of like how to play dirty and how to play fast and raw and filthy and like making his own style as well. Um, so after Hawkwind, Lemmy formed a new band called Bastard with guitarist Larry Wallace and drummer Lucas Fox. But as you can well imagine, when he went to his management and said, hey, I'm forming a new band called Bastard, thank you very much, they were like, no, you're not, because with a name like that, you will never get on Top of the Pops, which I think that's pretty funny, because I don't know if that would necessarily have been his top priority as like a sort of like punk leader in a way, to be on top of the pops, right? His management was like, no, 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 no. If you perform as Bastard, you will totally not get on top of the pops. So change it to something else. And that's when Lemmy changed it to Motorhead because that was the last song that he contributed to Hawkwind right before he got fired. Eventually, Larry and Lucas were replaced by guitarist Eddie Clark and Phil Taylor. And with this lineup, the three of them began to achieve massive success again. This isn't necessarily a story about the rise of Motorhead and their fame, but of course we all know their immediate crazy success that they had. They peaked mostly 
from 1980 to 1981 predominantly, with several UK chart hits, including their most famous Ace of Spades, which remained a massive favorite throughout the band's career, and the UK number one live album they had called No Sleep Till Hammersmith. So those were their most famous contributions to the music scene, but people absolutely love them. It kind of like supersedes really even maybe like Black Sabbath, you know, and speaking of Black Sabbath, speaking of Ozzy Osbourne, there were some overlap with Lemmy and Ozzy Osbourne. They remained great friends for years until Lemmy's passing, but Lemmy actually wrote a couple of songs for Ozzy Osbourne as well to use. And I thought that's really cool. You know, like Lemmy was a man of the people. But he also was just like a cool person in the music industry that was friends with everybody. Most people seem to say that he was a really nice guy. Like I've heard a lot of fan stories that have said that they met him and he could just talk to you about anything and he'll listen to you if you need advice or help or something, you know, and I think that's really cool that he just was like a man of the people that he didn't really see himself as this figurehead in the music scene or this icon or something that was like unattainable. He really saw himself as like a regular guy that was in a rock band that did pick up a lot of chicks and he liked that and that was fine for his image and he liked that image, you know. He was very much so of the rock and roll lifestyle. He really fit that road, on the road, going on tour, going in the recording studio, pumping out another album, and then going on tour again across the world type of lifestyle. And for some people in the music scene, that gets weary on them and they don't like that and they need to find some grounding with like, you know, having a home and a family. But for him, he was totally of the world. He was the salt of the earth kind of person. He was like, I I am of the world and I'm not of a wife <laughs> or a family. I am just of me and my band and the world and my fans and that's all that I need. They became one of the most influential bands in the heavy metal genre. And their final performance with Lemmy was in Berlin, Germany. On December 11th, 2015, during the band's 40th anniversary tour. But Lemmy, of course, being the man that he was with his addictions and his favorite things like alcohol, he had his poisons and he certainly abused his body with those poisons all the time. He never really let up on it. And again, starting smoking since age 11, that's extremely crazy. And you could imagine the sort of health problems he had. So Lemmy moved to Los Angeles in 1990, selecting an apartment close to the Rainbow Bar and Grill in West Hollywood, which was a hangout for rock's most notorious people of the time. So that's where he kind of got his scene right there. I'm sure, I'm sure he maybe actually went to the Viper Room, which was probably the most famous bar and club and music performance place of the time. It was owned by Johnny Depp in the 90s. That's where River Phoenix passed away. But, you know, a lot of famous musicians and actors as well hopped over there um, to the Viper Room. So maybe he went there. Maybe he didn't. But I would like to think that he did. But he really enjoyed this Rainbow Bar and Grill in West Hollywood the most. At the time that he spoke to Rolling Stone in 2014, before his passing, he said he was not ready to hang up his bass guitar and he was 
going to be playing until he died, basically. He said, I've still got a few bugs in me. Don't look forward to my demise just yet. So he was really on the up and up with his life. He didn't think that he would necessarily die maybe at that time. Maybe he thought he was running on borrow time because, again, like when you abuse your body like that, it's kind of like a ticking time bomb of when it just kind of explodes, like similar to Keith Richards. Like one day it's going to be like, wow, who knows? Maybe he'll reach 100 years old and it'll be like, wow. So the key to living 100 years old is to do drugs and to drink, you know, like you've got nothing to lose. So that's kind of interesting. But on another note, that's just really funny. Lemmy collected uh, German military regalia, i.e. Nazi memorabilia, which, I mean, you know, I do not condone that, obviously. But he made sure to tell people up and down, all over, everywhere, that he just liked the way that the, the stuff looked, like the Iron Cross. He had a lot of those. He did not have any anti-Semitism in his body. He did not have a bad bone in his body. He considered himself to be an anarchist or libertarian, one of the two. Um, but we know that he was not Christian. He didn't believe in God or anything like that. You know, he was not of a faith like that. But that is a bit of an odd choice, like to collect Nazi memorabilia, you know, like pins or, you know, iron crosses or whatever. He also had an iron cross, you know, on his bass guitar, which again, led to a lot of controversies that he was a Nazi sympathizer. All accounts to me, it seems like he was not. He just seemed to some reason like just think that the things looked cool. A bit questionable at that, but you know, I mean, I can definitely see that he was just a nice guy and he was not a Nazi sympathizer at all. He actually had a very famous story where he had kids write into him and he would give them advice. And there was this really famous story of this black boy writing into Lemmy saying that he wanted to play guitar, but that he was discouraged from it because he was black and... Lemmy was like, no, 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 like, you gotta, you gotta push through that and you gotta, you gotta play, you know, despite what people might tell you, you just, you gotta do it. So he was, you know, really keen on making sure he was very nice to anyone of any creed or race or religion. You know, he didn't hold nothing against nobody um, again. So I just thought that was an interesting, like, little aspect of Lemmy's personality, I suppose, that like, yeah, he collected Nazi memorabilia and that's just a part of his like life, you know? But again, he was not a neo-Nazi or a Nazi sympathizer or anything like that. If he was, I would not be doing this episode because I have no time for that. But in December of 2000, Lemmy's tour was canceled when he was hospitalized in Italy with the flu, exhaustion, and a lung infection all at the same time. He was hospitalized with extreme dehydration and exhaustion in Germany in July of 2005 as well. And then as he grew older, he consumed less alcohol and drugs because he suffered from diabetes and hypertension. You know, at some point there, you have to slow your roll and you can't just keep taking drugs and drinking all the time just because you think that you are invincible. Like, no, we're not really invincible. Like one day you will exacerbate your death and it'll come faster for you. But you know what? Maybe he was fine with that. Who knows, really? But, you know, I know that he didn't want to die just yet at the time that he did, you know, but, you know, I think at the same time, he wasn't necessarily too concerned with it. He was trying to clean himself up, but I don't think he was too concerned. His tour was canceled in July of 2013 as well due to a severe hematoma. He referred to his continuing drug use as dogged insolence in the face of mounting opposition to the contrary. And towards the end of his life, he had to use a walking stick. So he was not doing well. Um, also, in August of 2015, he had cut down his smoking habit from two packs a day to one pack a week. I think, I mean, wow, that's still a lot though. One pack a week. 
But for someone who was a severe addict and they smoked since the age of 11, going from two packs a day to one a week, I'd say is pretty good. But at the same time, I mean, when's it gonna, when are you gonna hang up the coat? When are you gonna hang it up, Lemmy? That's just crazy. He was hospitalized with a lung infection in September of 2015 after having breathing problems when performing on stage. I wonder what could have been the cause for his lung problems. I really, I really wonder, you know. Poor guy, you know, I do feel, I do feel for him because, you know, going through all of those health issues is, is a terrible thing. But also at the same time, it's like, you know, he kind of in a way did it to himself. And I hate to say that, but it's true took the drugs and the drink and the cigarettes all on his own. No one forced him to do it. And I think, obviously, the reason why he had those health problems in the first place was because of his addictions. And obviously, addiction is a disease. You know, that's why I do feel bad for him. Because, you know, at some point, it's like, you can't stop. You need it to survive. You need it to feel better. You need it to feel normal. So, you know, at some point, you know, his body couldn't deal with it anymore. And his body just gave out naturally. And uh, I also wanted to talk about Lemmy in this in this week's uh, episode because, again, he was born Christmas Eve, but he also died a couple days after Christmas. So he died on the 28th of December in 2015 in his L.A. apartment from prostate cancer, cardiac arrhythmia, and congestive heart failure. All of those at the same time. What's crazy, though, he had been diagnosed with cancer two days before he died. So he didn't know he had prostate cancer whatsoever. He was diagnosed by his doctor. And then two days later after that diagnosis, he passes away. And that's absolutely crazy. Lemmy's manager, Todd, later revealed this. He gets home from tour. We have a big birthday party for him at the Whiskey A Go Go. His friends came down and played. Two days later, I could tell he wasn't feeling good, so we took him to the hospital. They release him. Then after the brain scan, they found the cancer in his brain and his neck. The doctor comes with the results a couple of days later and says it's terminal. So, oh my goodness me, that's, I mean, all of that just going down in his body. Can you imagine, like, just riddled with illness and terminal death just right in his own body. I feel bad for him. Like, he's a nice guy. But at the same time, it's just like, at what point, at what point was it too much for him? You know, like, you know, I'm sure he was trying to get himself clean and healthy. But it's just like, at some point, the stuff that you've done to your body just kind of takes over. So I feel bad, you know, for him to go like that. All those lamenting and, you know, suppressing, you know, huge issues that he dealt with. Just awful. Lemmy's doctor had given him the prognosis of two to six months left to live at the time of his diagnosis, which is crazy because he then died two days later. So two to six months would have been an absolute godsend miracle, but I think he just had way too much other heart problems to let his body continue on like that. The owner of the Rainbow Bar and Grill subsequently had a video game machine that Lemmy was fond of playing, taken from the establishment and was put in Lemmy's apartment so he could continue playing it from his bedside while he was severely ill. Although his manager had planned to keep the news private until his death, Lemmy encouraged him to make the diagnosis public in early 2016, but he died before a press release could be drafted. So essentially... His manager was like, Lemmy, I just don't know if we should tell the public that you have cancer. I just don't think that's just the right idea. But Lemmy's like, no, 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 no. We need to tell the fans 
but tell them in 2016. Let's just give it some time. The doctor gave me two to six months of prognosis, so let's see where that takes me. But unfortunately, no one could have guessed that in two days he'd be dead. So unfortunately, that happened. But, you know, obviously then, you know, his his death happened. And then it came out that, yeah, Lemmy had cancer. So, I mean, that's an awful way for a rock and roll musician of such amazing reputation and was beloved by the people to go. That's horrific. And I think it came as a massive shock to the fans, too. People knew, of course, of his drug habits, but, you know, the cancer and the the heart problems, you know, I think people could have maybe presumed that he had maybe heart problems, you know, because of all the drug abuse and the enlarged kind of heart that he had going on there, you know. But, you know, cancer? I don't think people could have really predicted that. It gives me similar vibes to when David Bowie passed away and no one knew that he had cancer until he passed away, you know. So it's it's just very, very abrupt, you know, for the fans to find out like, oh, Lemmy had cancer. That's really crazy. But, you know, for a man to die like that, that just is so tragic. But, you know, he lives on in not only the music that he gave to the world, but to all the amazing friends he made along the way. Like Dave Grohl was at Lemmy's funeral and he spoke at his funeral and he said some extremely beautiful words. I believe he said something to the effect of like, fuck Elvis and maybe someone else that I forget, but he said, basically, like, screw Elvis, like, Lemmy is God, you know, and we give that moniker to him, you know, like, oh, Lemmy is God, you know, I think they had that moniker for Eric Clapton as well, like, oh, Eric Clapton's God, but, you know, Lemmy is God, and so people really, you know, make him like a deity, you know, like, that he is God, you know, like, Lemmy really is that guy, so people really, I think, thought as well because of that Lemmy's God moniker that he was maybe indestructible and that he couldn't really die, right? Unfortunately, he was not. You know, he's just a man and he kind of abused his own body until his body couldn't take it anymore. But you know what? He's a really interesting character and he seemed like a really nice guy. So if music like heavy metal or like speed metal or like punk metal isn't really your cup of tea, um, I'm sure you can at least maybe take appreciation for, you know, the story of Motorhead and the story of Lemmy. Um, You know, he he lives on. And of course, the anniversary date of not only his birthday on Christmas Eve, but his death date coming up four days after that is, you know, coming up around the corner. So, you know, on either Christmas Eve or maybe on his death anniversary, you know, think about Lemmy and send your good vibes up to him and, you know, maybe listen to a Motorhead song, you know, that'd be kind of funny. Instead of listening to Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire, listen to Ace of Spades. I think that'd be kind of fun. Uh, But thank you very much for listening and happy holidays to those that celebrate Christmas and have a wonderful new year to all of my listeners out there. Thank you for another amazing year. I couldn't have done this podcast without you guys and my awesome listeners. You guys are fantastic. I'll leave below in the description the link to my Audible partnership. I am sponsored by Audible. And so if you would like to try out Audible, um, I get a little bit of a commission from that um, just to keep it transparent. So if this holiday season you'd like to try out Audible or buy an audiobook for yourself, you know, go for it. I'll leave the link in the description. Or if you'd like to support the podcast in another monetary kind of way, like a one-time donation or have a 
monthly subscription of a small fee to my podcast. I'll leave those links down below. I am on Instagram on On The Mix Podcast. If you'd like to follow the podcast on there to keep up with updates and everything else on the podcast, that is the place to do it or leave your comments and we can have a discussion going about the episodes or anything that you want. Um, But I will see you guys in 2024 with some brand new episodes and new topics for us to discuss and to learn about. I hope that you learned something today about Lemmy that you hadn't known about him before. And I will see you guys in 2024 with another episode of the podcast. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye guys. Have a happy holiday.